on air. Yeah, I actually think we'll see a relatively strong year in the bond markets this year. And, you know, fundamental liquidity is strong. I think a lot of that rates noise was taken uh, in last year. This is On Air by ANZ Institutional. We bring you the latest market-leading analysis and thought leadership from more than 30 global markets, giving you the information you and your business needs to thrive. Hi, my name is Jimmy Choi. I'm in the capital markets team at ANZ. And thank you for joining us for the podcast. I have today with me Susie Ramos, whose expertise is on the uh, Financial Institution Syndicate Desk. And we have Emily Tonkin, who's our resident ESG expert, for a good conversation today. Um, so maybe I'll start with just a, a bit of a backdrop. Last year in the bond markets was obviously on record probably one of the worst years we've seen. We've seen both from a rates perspective and spreads, everything widening out, and that's fundamentally due to the central bank policy, which we saw, you know, from the US to other developed economies, a big pivot to a rate rise environment. And that created a fair amount of volatility. And it's the first time we've probably seen all global markets reduce supply. If you saw the U, particularly the US investment grade market down around 17% year on year, Asia had a, had a big down around 63%. And that's fundamentally a lot of re- reduced supply out of China. The euro market saw uh, down year-on-year 12%. Um, But interestingly enough, the one market that was up year-on-year is the Aussie AMTN AMTN market, which was up about 41% year-on-year on on total issuance, about 177 billion Aussie. Um, A lot of key drivers to that. But um, obviously, having said that, there were underlying factors that really led to this. And maybe I'll start, Susie, with you. You know, last year, how you saw our market um, and, and this year started relatively strong. What are you seeing and what are the clients asking you? Yeah, Jimmy, it was it was a, a challenging market last year. But having said that, you know, as you mentioned, um, we did buck the trend globally in terms of volumes. Um, two key drivers there and that, that was um, one in the high grade space with the AOFM um, increasing their issuance um, volume targets um, up 60, 68% from... Um, 2021, and also the, the in the financial space. So that, that was a, a really large driver. Um, so we saw financial issuance. Um, total 80, $89 billion last year. In any regular year pre-COVID, we, we would see 60 to $65 billion, um, And that $89 billion actually represented an increase of 227% um, uh, versus 2021 financial issuance. Um, Although, you know, noting that we've had uh, an extreme reduction during COVID, um, that pandemic period around um, issuance. So I guess what we're seeing is um, financial issuers um, getting back to business as usual, as I'm calling it. Um, There's a a large um, refinancing task this year with the term funding facility um, redemption starting to uh, kick in. We've got $85 billion of TFF um, redemptions um, just this year alone, uh, and then another circa $100 billion next year. So we saw issuers, particularly in Q4 last year, um, financial issuers starting to think about pre-funding uh, with, with a number of unknowns about market conditions this year. Um, they started to, to get... Um, to get going on their funding tasks in Q4 last year. Um, and we also have seen that in the, in the start of this year. So, you know, this year alone, I mean, we're only still middle of February. Um, 
We've already seen circa 18 billion of financial issuance and across the market for Australian dollars um, year to date, we've seen 37 billion um, of issuance versus this time last year where we saw 30 billion. Um, so it's not just the financial issuers um, getting kick-started this year. We saw a very strong, aggressive start to SSA issuance uh, in January. And we also have seen a lot of the semis already start to engage or, or already look at the market this year. So that's been some of the, the key drivers there in terms of the types of issuers that have come to market so far this year. Why are they coming to market? Well, there's still a lot of unknowns. What's credit credit um, credit going to do? What are rates going to continue to give us? So um, issuers don't want to waste any time. They don't want to take any chances. And the market is very liquid. Um, the market is very liquid because a lot of investors with such a difficult year last year with performance, um, you know, held back a lot of cash. There's a lot of pent-up demand. There's a lot of cash out there. So why not just take advantage of that uh, while you can and not leave it till too, too late in the year? So that's how we're seeing it all open up this year so far. Yeah, I think an interesting point is come January 1, um, whether it be equity or debt markets have really seemed to have gone to a strong start. And you think the underlying driver of that is investors are taking a view that we're closer to the end on, on rate rises and you mentioned a fair amount of liquidity. Is that you're seeing that in the markets now in the current order books that we're seeing today? Yeah, definitely. And um, so we're seeing order books two times, three times oversubscribed, um, you know, which is a very strong outcome, um, not only for the issuer in terms of flexibility on how much they can issue um, and how they can leverage the pricing. It's also very attractive from the investor perspective uh, because they know they're going into um, – a transaction that's obviously very well sought after. There's been very strong secondary performance. And these are the um, themes that we're seeing not only here in Australia, but globally, both in the euro and dollar market. It's been very, very strong. Um, and issuers across those two key markets have also taken a, a similar approach in terms of not wasting any time, getting started on their funding tasks. Um, and that's been across all sectors, but I think the most obvious sector that we've seen it in has been the financial space. So, um, you know, that's that's a really good um, kind of sentiment that we've had this year so far and it, it resonates globally. Okay, now to segue uh, into your area, Emily. We saw last year, again, with particularly in the bond markets with global supply down, I think ESG issuances went from a trillion down to around $740 billion globally. So a decent size uh, reduction, which, you know, a lot of then... Um, you know, clients were asking, is that a function of that now maybe, you know, we've seen the ES people backing off around ESG. Um, so I wanted to just ask your thoughts around that, um, what you see kind of that supply demand demand dynamics and then get into what are the kind of underlying themes you saw last year. Uh, no, ESG is definitely not off the table. It's very, very busy in sustainable finance. I think um, so if we look at the numbers for last year, um, for 2022 in full, um, between loans and bonds, this is labelled sustainable finance transactions. So green loans, green bonds, sustainability linked loans and bonds, social loans and bonds. Calendar year 2022 was a really high year. We saw sort of just over $5 trillion of sustainable finance labelled instruments in the global market. I think we'll see another big boost in sustainable finance issuance. 
In terms of the trends, yes, uh, our issuers were definitely impacted by the um, bond market and its issues. Um, but what we did see in place of that were borrowers coming through and replacing their bond issuances into the loan market. So the loan market continued to be very strong. We saw a lot of issuers, uh, new issuers as well into the sustainability linked instruments. And that continues to be a very strong product for um, our world. Um, and then I think going forward from there, we'll continue to see a lot of sustainability-linked instruments, both sustainability-linked loans and bonds. And indeed, I have to say, at the moment, it's been incredibly busy with a lot of corporates coming through, corporates and financial institutions coming through um, to issue into that market and I think getting ready for this year um, to, to issue into the bond market. And I might just pick up on what Susie was saying around FIs. ANZ Sustainable Finance team, uh, the international team was extremely busy particularly around the first few weeks um, of this year, calendar year 2023, issuing uh, financial institutions, SUSFIN labelled transactions. So it was a very, very good start for 2023. Oh, that's great to hear. I mean, there's a lot of development and maybe we can just touch on that um, around regulation, but also colours. So whether it be, a, a, you know, maybe we can, you can just delve into a bit, you know, blue bonds, uh, ANZ actually uh, did the world's first orange bond, uh, looks at gender equality. So I think it'd be quite interesting for the audience to just really the, the developments around that, you know, why are we seeing, you know, labeled colors now um, and, and what's going on there? Yeah, really, really interesting. We've started, so ANZ is part of the orange bond um, organization, which this is a, this is sort of a bond program that is reflective of the SDG color Orange, which is really um, supporting uh, women's – well, the bond itself is around gender, uh, women's um, equality and improving rights for women. Um, really interesting transaction. I think we're definitely going to start to see more of those, particularly um, uh, blue bonds might start to come to the fore. So that's really around the SDG related to uh, life underwater or in the water. Um, and so bonds related to supporting um, projects in that space. And then that leads to biodiversity. Yeah. So we're going to be talking um, at the Hunter Valley Conference that's coming up. Uh, one of the workshops, so Sustainable Finance has uh, two discussions. Um, the discussion, there's going to be one sort of workshop conversation around biodiversity. And this is really to provide insights to both uh, issuers and corporates and investors around what we're seeing in biodiversity. It's a very new sort of topic that's rapidly coming to the fore. Uh, COP15 that happened just the week before Christmas really sort of brought, put a spotlight on this. Biodiversity, natural capital has become increasingly more um, important because there's been a real appreciation around the financial risks that natural capital and the degradation of natural capital is having for the economy. So I think the World Economic Forum uh, cites that about 50% of world GDP is moderately or highly reliant on natural capital. Obviously, natural capital is tightly uh, intertwined with climate change. So as climate change occurs, uh, natural capital and biodiversity or nature itself is... Um, is damaged and that has a there's a, we have worked out that there is a financial risk there 
So at uh, the Hunter Valley Conference, we have quite a number of investors actually going to be providing their views on what they're seeing and how it's impacting their investment um, analysis. I think that'll be really, really insightful and interesting. We also have a number of um, corporates who are going to be talking about what they are doing and the initiatives that are happening. Wow, that's, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, And then maybe a question for both of you in terms of, you know, development of the investor base. Who are you, you know, what are you seeing there around... Uh, investors that are specifically focused on buying ESG, whether they're more dedicated, and does that lead to you know the the favorite word of a, a greenium? Um, mm, yes. <laughs> um, and oversubscription rates, just given there's more dedicated money uh, coming into this area, is that what you're seeing? And there's a lot of corporate governance and focus on this as well. So. We definitely continue to see the greenium coming through. I think the greenium, which for those listeners who may not be familiar with that term, green premium, uh, varies throughout. Um, so it, it sort of depends on who you're speaking with. So what we have seen in the bond market is sort of at least a five basis points uh, discount at, at the pricing uh, with the sustainable finance label. And that reflects the very strong uh, demand for these types of labels. What we've seen in the loan market, again, Again, is sort of a five to ten basis point discount um, depending on which label you go for, um, particularly for green labels, green loans. We've seen sort of five to ten basis points. Um, so there's definitely a pricing incentive there for corporates and issuers alike. Yeah, and I think what tends to happen is that the pricing, the pricing advantage, is driven by the fact that there are. Um, a huge amount of investors out there now really focused um, in the sustainable area. There's an increase in terms of the assets under management, the mandates that are being created, uh, the money that's being attracted um, that needs to then be invested um, into um, assets. Um, so you've got um, asset managers growing um, their pool of liquidity, liquidity into sustainable finance and then needing to deploy that pool of liquidity into assets, um, which we're seeing in, in, in the bond market and, and I guess to an extent in the loan market, depending on the type of investor that you're dealing with uh, um, in the end. But certainly in, in the, the bond market, what you end up finding is that um, if you have uh, two deals exactly the same, uh, one has a label on it and one is just a, a regular vanilla um, bond, if we call it that, uh, you'll tend to find that the ticket size is is a lot larger um, and tends to um, always come in to the to the final pricing of the transaction, whereas in a regular bond, you may see the ticket size being smaller and perhaps a little more sensitive in terms of the pricing, and that's obviously being driven by the size of the order book and the dynamic and momentum of the transaction. Um, we did actually see that, um, you know, we've we've been seeing this trend for some time, but as assets under management continue to grow, um, the amount of liquidity chasing these assets. Uh, continues to increase um, and we did actually see that very recently when ANZ uh, went to the euro market with a 10 non-core 5 tier 2 transaction um, that was an STG labelled transaction. Um, it was a, a billion dollar cap deal but we certainly saw the order book far um, far exceed the funding requirement on that transaction and what we found was that um, 
it was it was what we call the who's who of asset managers that uh, across Europe that were in that transaction. Ticker sizes a lot larger than usual, um, and instead of uh, being quite sticky in terms of their pricing needs throughout the book build, um, they all did come in um, at what we call reoffer, um, which means that wherever the transaction is going to clear at in terms of pricing, they're happy to buy. So a, a very different dynamic than um, potentially what you can see in a non-labelled transaction. And then, um, Emily, this, this maybe this one's for you. So in tw- the outlook kind of 2023, and we'll obviously discuss a lot of this at the Hunter Valley Conference, but particularly on the sustainable finance side, what do you see, where do you kind of see the three key developments in our domestic market and you know or what you look forward to you know certain areas developing sure i mean i definitely think we're going to see um a number of corporates coming through to the aussie market especially the aussie mtn there are a lot of new issuers looking to come to that market uh so that's the first thing the second thing i'd say is what we are really looking what we're really starting to see is corporates particularly larger corporates that have um uh, large capital or sort of financial structures underneath them. So they might have bilateral loans, they might have syndicated facilities, guarantees, um, derivatives and, and, and sometimes bonds, looking at the sustainability-linked instrument suite. So in that case, they would be setting corporate targets for that are uh, addressing material ESG risks of the business. And then so setting sort of three to four KPIs or sustainability KPIs and then actually linking all of those facilities into those types of products. And I think that sends a really powerful message for those corporates to be able to say, we're so uh, focused on ESG that we are going to put it into our financial stack. We're going to incorporate it all the way through and we're, we're really going to hang our hat and try and achieve these ambitious sustainability targets. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. I think thirdly, we're going to start to see this is sort of away from the market specifically of issuance, but more around regulation. I think we're going to start to see a lot more regulation coming into that market. And certainly we will be talking about that at Hunter Valley. Catherine Tapley, who's the global head of sustainable finance here at ANZ, will be hosting a panel, very esteemed panel, um, to talk about those items. And she'll also be covering off transition of hard to bait names. So it's going to be a really interesting um, plenary session with Catherine. Okay, great. No, that sounds very interesting. And Looking forward to that. And maybe Susie, on your side too, the kind of the year started very strong, as you mentioned, just from a supply basis across you know all segments. Um, where do you see this year, you know, kind of some of the themes and and we're forecasting, I think ANZ over hundred billion supply in the financial institution sector. Um, can you kind of outline what you see happening this year if you had a crystal ball? Oh, I love having a crystal ball, <laughs> don't we all? Um, look, I think, um, you know, last year, as I mentioned, we, we finished up um, with a, a kind of record issuance um, number in terms of $89 billion. I touched on um, the term funding facility, the refinancing of that. So I think that's really on everyone's minds this year, um, if you're a financial issuer, how you're going to navigate that refinancing um, target. The pillar actually of that um, term, the RBA term funding facility, the first real main peak is in September. So I think as we approach September um, and issuers thinking about when they come to market, there may be a bit of a 
clustering effect, if I call it that, um, as we approach that deadline number with, with refinancing, um, and we may see a, a bit more of a rush to market, um, that can then have an impact on on credit spread. So that just just alone, the technicals that are happening in our market alone. Um, if you've got a, a you know a, a, no, a number of issuers all trying to come to market, trying to do the same thing at a similar time, um, there is a concern uh, across the market about you know how that will impact um, credit spreads because uh, obviously you know you've got increased volume. Uh, there's only so much liquidity trace, chasing chasing that volume. Um, so will that have a, a pushing out um, of spreads? So although we've started very strongly, we've seen strong spread performance, there is a concern, particularly in the second half of this year with the term funding facility around um, how that is going to um, impact the, the credit spread context um, and, and how we finish up the year. There's also concern about liquidity drying up. You know, I've got all this funding to do, um, but will the liquidity continue to be there? Um, so where will that tipping point be or that inflection point when investors start to slow down um, and because they've, they've rushed to a lot of the deals that have already hit the market so far, you know, will that appetite still be there in the, in the second half? So there's a few things there, um, you know, that are, are obviously more specific to our market um, that um, both investors and issuers are thinking about. Obviously, then the crystal balling around, you know, what's going to happen from a global context. Um, you know, every year there seems to be a market event that none of us expect. So what will it be? What will be that trigger point? Um, and central banks obviously messaging, you know, they're going to be very, you know, data dependent around their rate decisions going forward. So what will that data look like? How is that going to drive their decisions around rates? Will there be some unexpected decisions that... Um, could really turn our market um, in a in a different direction. I think lastly as well, just to touch on um, the capital piece, obviously APRA were kind to remind our market last year um, around how um, tier two instruments, the callable nature of those instruments, uh, how um, they are assessed in terms of uh, if they are approved to call or not in terms of, from the economic basis um, on that assessment, that's had a real impact on our market and, and at the moment our market is still really uh, waiting to see, um, you know, what tier two issuance in the Aussie dollar market is going to look like from a, a regular benchmark form. Um, ANZ um, actually broke a few boundaries very recently issuing the first benchmark 15 non-call 10 T2 instrument, um, which was fantastic in adding duration to our market and that was exceptionally well received. But I think investors are still keen to see where capital goes this year. What what will that look like? What are the structures going to look like? Great. And, you know, one area is definitely worth touching on is, you know, post-COVID, um, it's fantastic. We're seeing a lot of international investors and clients coming to Hunter Valley this year. And that's uh, we've seen that also this year's start of the market. We're seeing a lot more investors from whether it be you know Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, buying Australian denominated paper. Um, maybe you could just touch on the dynamics of that and why are they back um, buying our paper um, on a relative value basis? Is that is that making more sense than what they see globally? Yeah, um, 
Look, you know, I mean, in terms of the Hunter Valley in general, it's quite exciting um, just to have the conference back in its full force um, post post COVID. I don't think we've had, a, you know, we've been able to deliver this this um, conference to the full extent since pre COVID. So I think investors and issuers locally and globally are really excited. Uh, obviously, as are we. Um, in terms of their participation in our market, um, particularly this year. Uh, it has been exciting to see um, a, a very broad and diverse distribution throughout Asia, and also here in Australia, there have there are some you know some investors that have been very quiet for quite some time, and we've seen them reactivate um, in at a really good level um, this year. Um, the reason for that, I guess, we touched on. Um, the pent-up cash left over from last year from a domestic perspective. But for um, the broad distribution across Asia, um, whilst we were working through the rate hikes um, and the US were taking a more aggressive stance on rate hikes versus the um, the, the Aussie market, um, that market was looking more attractive. So a lot of the Asian accounts were, were starting to focus more on dollar paper and that dollar market more so than the Aussie piece. Um, now that we've kind of balanced out our rate hikes um, since that time, um, and obviously now this year um, the rate, the aggressive rate hiking, um, famous last words, we'll see what happens, but it seems like the, the aggressive rate hiking has levelled off. I think um, particularly for the Asian investor base, they are starting to see value um, back in Australian dollar paper. Secondary performance has also been very important to them and because they've seen that performance um, resonate here in the Aussie dollar deals that we've seen so far and have a, a similar um secondary performance to what we're seeing offshore that's also attracting them back to our market so we think it's also very important again to take advantage of that while it's there yeah no i i totally agree i think that's that's you know we're seeing some good dynamics there and and i think the liquidity has really added the global liquidity piece has added to to our market um you know on the on that emily i wanted to ask globally you know the ESG, the sustainable financial esg market um there's different regulations in different areas. We're seeing the development, what we're seeing in Australia, but also, you know, touch upon, do you see um, kind of a blanket regulation coming over? We're seeing different developments around Asia, for example, um, you know, locally in domestic markets, as well as investors uh, buying. But as you touched on, it really comes down to good governance, uh, regulation, transparency. Um, and how do you see that developing over time? And particularly our market and then Asia Pacific as well. Very good question, and I wish I had a crystal ball as well. You can have mine. <laughs> Thanks, Susie. <laughs> um, look, do I, I? I think it's still sustainable finance. Is whilst it's been around for quite a while now, um, it's still relatively nascent. I think. Uh, I think the it, it's very. It's still quite localized in terms of um, standards and taxonomies, taxonomy developments, um, nuances for each country. And I think that's that sort of um, bespoke taxonomies of across each country and geographies will continue for some time. I mean, indeed, um, Australia is working through its own taxonomy proposal at the moment, um, and that's uh, with the Australian Sustainable Finance Initiative. And indeed, they will be taking uh, the government will be taking feedback on that taxonomy at some point. 
Um, we know that the European Union does have a taxonomy as what is deemed to be green. I mean, at the moment, I think in the market, what we see is that uh, issuers and corporates across the globe will continue to look at the EU taxonomy for guidance, um, but countries themselves are establishing their own taxonomy as to what is deemed to be green. Over time, do I see them merging? I mean, it seems logical that they would eventually merge together um, because we are talking about financial markets and that's a global market pool. I mean, it's going to be very challenging for investors to be across all the various details if it doesn't start to merge together or at least largely reflect each other. Um, so I think that's where it's probably going to be going for now. I have a question for you, Jimmy, if you like. Yes, please. Now, I'll, we can, Susie and I can pass our crystal ball over to you for a while. <laughs> and I want to ask you the question. So if you were an Aussie corporate, um, because we haven't seen much corporate activity in the Aussie MTM market yet this year, I mean, we know that there are corporates doing some legwork. When do you see sort of optimal time to, to issue and what, what sort of, what's your forecast around the next 12 months in that market? A very good question. Um, I, well, I definitely think with the market dynamics and the technicals we're seeing point to um, the timing pretty much now. I, if you look at um, fundamental supply demand, there's still a, there's a lot of liquidity, and what's happening in the secondary market? They're chasing um, primary as well as secondary paper, particularly on the corporate side, because there's been no fundamental supply. So last year was one of the lowest years of corporate paper supply in Australia. Um, and so I think if you look at where now major bank spreads have come in, and uh, that spread has come in around anywhere from 10 to 20 basis points, depends where you benchmark the time point, um, that really leads to, I think, you know, the market is ready. And investors, uh, you know, have said they're ready for corporate paper. So I think as soon as results um, come out, I, th I, would, I would expect... Um, some supply to reopen in the market. And yes, you do have to get your head around spreads are higher than a year or two ago. I mean, that is the new dynamic. You know, if you were printing at low 100s, it, it is, you know, higher than that now. But I think fundamentally, whether you're in this market and you've seen it, that's that's what is the, you know, the market. But the general technical backdrop is, is relatively strong. And I think as long as that remains, I, I, you know, I'm confident we'll see that. And going forward, will we see a strong year? I actually think we'll see a relatively strong year in the bond markets this year. And a lot of that one is, you know, fundamental liquidity is strong. I think a lot of that rates noise was taken uh, in last year. Um, and secondly, the underlying kind of maturities that are coming due, um, if you look at it from whether our market or other markets, is over $100 billion um, Per, you know, in this year coming up. So a lot of paper needs to be refinanced out. And I think a lot went into the loan market that last year. And that also factors into loan pricing um, as well. So I think those dynamics will come shift back to some equilibrium in the bond market. So yeah, we're very excited. I think there's a lot to talk about. But I think there will be a lot of developments this year um, across the board. And uh, sort of what, what are you saying, sort of optimal tenor for listeners? Duration, we are seeing duration back early on. We talked about 15 non-core 10 of ANZ's own paper. Globally, too, we're seeing 10s and 30s back on the table. Um, particularly, I think you've, the view is, look, if rates are, are slowing down and we're at the back end of a rate rise, if you're getting on a, on a top-line basis a five to six handle on a transaction, um, you know, that we didn't see for, you know, five, ten years, um, from just from a pure yield perspective, I think that's looking attractive to investors. So duration is back because I think just the view on volatility of rates may have, have quietened down a bit. So 
we're hoping to see that. That was On Air by ANZ Institutional. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe to hear more. This podcast is intended as thought leadership material. It is not published with the intention of providing any direct or indirect recommendations or to influence any person to make a decision in relation to any financial product or class of financial products. It is general in nature and does not take account of the circumstances of any individual or class of individuals. For further information, please refer to the full disclaimer at institutional.anz.com.